Good morning. So here at the Bible Chapel, our mission is to develop followers of Jesus Christ. We love that word develop because it means two things. It means to bring into reality. So that's the person who has not yet trusted in Christ. And it also means to make stronger. And that relates to the person who has trusted in Christ, to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we desire for a person to take a step closer to a relationship with Jesus or a step further along in that relationship. This week, the Bible Chapel has been mentioned in the media regarding our stance on marriage and the sanctity of life. We believe that God's design for marriage is for one man and one woman for life, and we believe that design is confirmed by Jesus. We also believe... We also believe that life is a gift from God, begins at conception, and should be honored until one's final breath. Everything we believe, everything we believe and why we believe it is on our website and it remains unchanged. As these challenges arise, our responsibility as a church is always to respond with grace and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason, for the hope that is within us, yet do this with gentleness and respect. And again, our commitment as a church is to always respond with the love of Christ. The mission of the Bible Chapel is to develop followers of Jesus Christ in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, in the greater Pittsburgh area and throughout the world, and we want to make sure we keep our focus on that mission. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're a God who loves us and cares for us and knows us by name. We thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus to die for all of us. And we thank you that through Jesus, we have a relationship with you, the living God. We have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with you, not just during this life, short time here on earth, but throughout eternity. We pray, Father, that you would help us to follow hard after you, help us grow in that relationship with you. And Father, help us be those who demonstrate to a watching world what the love of Christ really looks like. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the campus pastors who will be preaching uh, live today at, at their respective campuses. And we know, Lord, that when your word goes out, it doesn't come back void, but it accomplishes the, the purposes you set it out to do. And we thank you for that promise. And so, Father, we have come together and we have uh, sung together and we've interacted together. And now at all of our campuses, we want to pray together as Jesus, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So the picture of the guy behind me is a man named Ed Malzahn. 
Ed was born and raised in a little town called Perry, Oklahoma. Anyone ever heard of that town? After graduating from Oklahoma State, uh, he went back and he started working for his dad. His dad uh, owned a place called Charles Machine Works, and his grandfather actually started it. It was a blacksmith shop when his grandfather started it. And Ed Molzon, fresh from an engineering degree at, at uh, what was then uh, Oklahoma A&M, started uh, designing these little uh, machines. They were called trenchers. And he designed this thing called the Ditch Witch Trencher. And uh, they sponsored all kinds of things around our town. In fact, just as a side note, when I was 11 and 12, I played baseball for the Ditch Witch Trenchers, and we won the championship twice. But that's a whole different story. Whole different story. Charles Machine Works uh, grew because they had that little ditch witch first, and then and now they have huge ones, and uh, they are a global, uh, interna- an international company now, and they're headquartered there in our little town. Now, as a college student, I used to work uh, at Ditch Witch during the summers, and when you heard that Ed Malzahn was riding his bike through the plant, it was time to get to work. A person once asked Ed Malzahn, Mr. Malzahn, how many people actually work at Ditchwich? And he responded, hmm, about half of them. (laughs) The question today that I want to put before us all is this. In, In your place of work, in your calling, in your vocation, And the assignment that God has given you during this stage of your life. You may be preparing for a vocation, you may be in it, or you may have transitioned from that vocation. But God, if you're living and breathing, God still has a calling on your life, something for you to do. In that calling, whatever stage of life you're in, if that question was asked of you, uh, which half would you fall into? Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, this fascinating book we've been studying through. It's a book written by the third king of Israel, a man named Solomon, mostly written by him. Solomon reigned from 971 B.C. to 931 uh, B.C. And during his time, there was a lot of wisdom literature going on, but the, but the differentiation with, with the wisdom that Solomon gave and everyone else was this, Solomon's wisdom always started with God. The fear of God, he said, is the beginning of wisdom. And then the book of Proverbs, the, the name God is always the translation of the word Yahweh. And in your English Bibles, in our English Bibles, it is the word Lord in all caps. So anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word Lord in all caps, that's a translation of Yahweh. And just think personal relationship. Yahweh is the name for the personal God, the covenantal God, the God who loves us, the God who cares for us, the God who is always with us, the God who never lets us go. That's Yahweh. In the book of Proverbs, there are two types of people. There's one person over here. Uh, This person is described as the wicked. They're the person who rejects God. They want nothing to do with God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so that's the description of the fool in the Proverbs. On the other hand, there's this person over here. Uh, This person is described as righteous. 
This person fears God, and again, not a cowering fear, but we, oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. Can you go help me go back to that slide? Um, thank you. Uh, uh, not a cowering fear, but, but, a, but a familial fear, a fear like a, a heavenly, uh, an earthly father. That person fears God, and that person is called wise. Now, two things that we need to know, whether we're in Proverbs or any other book of the, of the Bible. When you see the word righteousness, think of two things, positional and practice, all right? Positional and practice. So think righteousness, positional and practice. Our position, when we trust in Christ alone, it's the only way to have a relationship with the living God. It's not something we did on our own, right? We didn't work our way to God. God brought us to himself, he saves us, and he puts us in a position as a child. We are made right by God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, those are verses, among others, that tell us God is the one who makes us righteous. So we have a position before God. Nothing will ever change that. Nothing will ever change that. We're a child of God and will forever be. That's the position of righteousness. Now, there's also the practice of righteousness, and that's just doing life. That's the rubber meets the road stuff. That's marriage and family and relationship. That's what we say or what we don't say. That's the motions we let out or what we don't let out. And that's the, that's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. Solomon's saying parents and mentors mature as you teach other people, here are the things we need to teach them about rubber meets the road stuff, everyday wisdom for everyday life. This is what it looks like as you are already a child of God. This is what it looks like to live as a child of God. And so we've looked at things like uh, pride, humility. We've looked at things like uh, anger or emotions. We've looked at things like words and resources and what a true friend is. And today we want to look at that thing that takes such a huge chunk of our life, huge chunk of our life, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week. We're going to see what Solomon says about vocation. And again, I want to remind you, if you're retired, you don't retire from the spiritual life. God has a calling on your life. You may have just transitioned from one to the other, but God has a calling on your life. And I, I'm no prophet, but I'm pretty sure it's not just playing golf or bridge or traveling or taking care of the grandkids. Those are cool things. But God has something special for you to do until he takes you home. All right, what I want to do today is to start with the biblical theology of work, and then we're going to look at some observations, and then we're going to look at some application regarding work before we take communion. Theology of work. First thing, work is God's design, and since it's God's design, he's the one who gives us the example. God gives us the example of work. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his what? It's creative work. 
finished what he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God is the example of work, and he's the example of resting from our work. Now, God never didn't get tired, but we do. And there's an aspect of the Sabbath rest physically as well as spiritually. Our spiritual Sabbath rest is in Jesus. But we need to take time off, and we need to recreate ourselves, recreation, recreate ourselves to do what we need to do to make sure we can go hard after the calling that God has put in our life. So God is the example of work. The other thing is God's still working. Look at John chapter 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered, my father is working until now, and I am working. And so the father continues to do his work. He's the example of work. Work is God's idea. Look at uh, the second point. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. So it's before the fall. We are in the garden. It's sinless. And in the garden, in this sinless state, chapter 215, the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it and to keep it. So in the garden of Eden, work is ordained and it's established. Work is God's idea for all of us. In the sinless state, then, after Genesis 2 comes what? Genesis 3, every time. And in Genesis 3 is the fall, and sin enters the world, and it it changes the complexion of work. So now we're in Genesis 3. Remember Genesis 2, work is established, ordained. Now we're in Genesis 3 after the fall. Look at chapter 3. Verse 17, at the end of verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you in pain, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust, for you are dust and to dust you're going to return. God ordained work, but now, It's tiring. It's still great. It's still satisfying. When you're doing what God calls you to do, there's nothing like that. And we still do that, but you still have to work with people. And you still get tired sometime. And you still go through all the challenges. If you're traveling, you got to get on a plane and travel different places. We get tired. We get by, by the sweat of our brow. Now we make our living. In that day, it was the thorns and thistles of the ground because it's agricultural. We have different thorns and thistles now, don't we? But it's still ordained by God. And here's the cool things. Jesus redeems work. When Jesus came, not only did he redeem us, but he redeems our work. Ephesians chapter 6, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Now, just put this in perspective. Employees, right? Obey your employers because God has put them there for you. Do that with fear and trembling, not in a cowering way, but in a respect or an awe from the position that God has placed in their life with a sincere heart. Oh, here's a catch. And do that. Think about that person you report to. You report to them. You honor them, you respect them, you do what they're asking with a sincere heart as you would Jesus. That puts it in a different perspective, doesn't it? 
not by the way of, of eye service. You don't just get busy when Ed, you hear Ed Malzahn's on his bike in the plant or as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Next slide, rendering with service, with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. As to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Jesus redeems our work. So when we work, whatever vocation we have, we're doing it unto God. If it's the laundry at home, if it's a sales call, if it's writing up a report, if it's doing whatever you do, it's unto God, not unto man. And work, our vocation, is a gift from God. He's the one who provides us with this thing called vocation or work. Proverbs 10, 3, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. The righteous have enough to satisfy his appetite. Do we have everything we want? Probably not. But God makes sure we have everything we need. Sometimes we're going through a lean stretch, and he provides things through other people, right? That's the church. That's the community. We take care of each other. But most of the time, God gives us this gift of a job, this gift of vocation, so that we can provide the things we need. Okay. Theology of work, big picture. Now let's look at some observations from the Proverbs. When the Proverbs talks about uh, work, it uses two words, two descriptions of people. The first word is diligent, the diligent person. That word means sharp. That, person, that, that word means industrious, persevering, hard worker, attentive, the diligent. There's also another word used, sluggard. Looseness, that word means. Slackness. Lazy. But here's the main description of this word. Self-focused. Self-focused. Sluggard is not a common word today. We don't use it much, do we? And it's not used much in Scripture. In fact, Solomon's the only one who uses it. He uses it 14 times in the Proverbs. It's not found any place else in the Old Testament. And it describes more than, more than a person who is just lazy. It describes a selfish person focused on doing his or her thing to the detriment of others. A sluggard is self-focused. So, you may be Mr. Hustle in the men's basketball league. They may say, man, that guy, look at him. He's diving around for balls. Look at that guy. And be a sluggard when it comes to leading your family or doing things around the house or work. You may be the top performer in your company. You're the example. Spiritually, you haven't opened your Bible in only God knows when. And you can be a spiritual sluggard. Many, many, many years ago, did I emphasize many? Many years ago, there was a guy here, and he got in a lot of trouble because when he was supposed to be out calling on clients, he was at a coffee shop studying his Bible. Now, is it a good thing to study your Bible? 
but not on your employer's time. You see, this has got to be put in the balance of biblical theology regarding work. Solomon says a lot about the sluggard. I'm going to go through these very, very quickly. Uh, in your notes, uh, there aren't any verses, so if you want them, I'll send them to you, but I'm going to go through this real quick. The sluggard. Uh, the proverb says the sluggard is shameful. He's, a sh he's ashamed to his father, and he's ashamed to his parents. He's lazy. The proverb says that he has the game right there in front of him, but he's too lazy to roast it. Uh, he has the, the food right in front of him, but, he's, but he won't even lift his head. He won't even pick up the fork and put the food in his mouth. He's undependable. If you want something done, don't give it to a sluggard. He's full of excuses. Proverbs twenty two thirteen says, look, the sluggard always says, there's a lion outside. I can't go outside. The lion's going to kill me. He always has an excuse how many people have missed God's calling in their life because they're full of excuses. He's a dreamer, always got an idea, but never willing to put it into practice. He's undisciplined. I do want to look at this one, uh, Proverbs 24, 30, and 31. 24, 30, and 31. Solomon, Solomon says, I passed by the field of a sluggard. Wait a minute. God gave him a field. So Solomon passes by the field of a sluggard. I passed by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. I passed by the field that God gave him. Behold, it was overgrown with thorns. He didn't even care for it. He didn't care for the gift God gave him. The ground was covered with nettles. The stone wall was broken down. He's undisciplined. God gave him these things. He's undisciplined. He's unreasonable. You cannot, can't reason with the sluggard. And he suffers consequences. Again, there are a lot of passages for those. If you want them, I'll give them to you. Now, that's the sluggard. Let's talk about the diligent. Three things. The diligent is self-motivated. Self-motivated. Now remember, uh, Solomon uh, was the wisest man who ever lived, right? In 1 Kings chapter 5, it says that people would come and hear him lecture on stuff. Think about that. They would come from all over, and Solomon would stand up, and he would lecture on trees, and he would lecture on beasts, and he would lecture on birds, and he would give lectures on reptiles, he would give lectures on fish. And you know one thing that Solomon studied? He studied, he did research on the ant. The ant. Now, I kind of poo-pooed the Ant-Man movie, but after I studied Solomon, the Ant-Man, he's a cool, cool guy. Think about this. The ant is so strong. It can lift 50 times its body weight. 50 times. Yes, I agree with you. That is amazing. So if a person weighing 150 pounds could do that, they could lift 7,500 pounds. And the ant is fast. An ant is so fast they can run 800 times their body length in one minute. 800 times. So if you were six feet tall, that means you could run 4,800 feet or nine-tenths of a mile in one minute. Now, the fastest person, the record is 3.4 mile is 3.43 seconds, three, three minutes, 43 seconds. 
and he would be a world record holder. The ant is amazing. Here's a cool thing. The ants live in colonies by the millions, but they have no leaders. Did you know that? Ants have no leaders. The queen ant, there's a queen ant, but she doesn't tell the other ants what to do. They just know their roles, and they carry out their roles, and they do it faithfully, and they do it with diligence. And so Solomon, having studied the ants, says, you ought to be like an ant. You ought to be like ant man. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without any chief, without any officer, without any ruler, she prepares her bread for summer and gathers her food in harvest. Solomon says, consider the ant. The ant is self-motivated. They don't need someone over them. They don't need a chief. They don't need an officer. They don't need a ruler. He is celebrating. He is, he is highlighting uh, self-motivation. They don't need a boss to tell them what to do. They don't need constant oversight. They don't need people to give them a job to do, and then you do that job, and then here's another job, and go do that. Here's another job. They are self-motivated. They don't say, the boss is coming. Let's get to work because they're working unto God. Their boss sees everything they do. And that person works with diligence. They are always evaluating the best and most effective way of getting the work done. They have the processes in place to do that. They don't go along just to get along. Their worth ethic is their work ethic is not based on a, a type A personality. It's based on their biblical theology. Their work, first and foremost, is to please God, not man. Now, the sluggard, on the other hand, would just rather sleep, right? Sleep means you're inactive, unproductive. And the idea of sleep in the Proverbs is refusal to face reality. The diligent is self-motivated. Secondly, the diligent is a hard worker. Won't take time to turn there, but just read Proverbs 31. Read about uh, the the uh, the wife there in Proverbs 31. The godly wife. She gets up early. She stays up late. She makes sure food's on the table for her family. She makes sure her kids are clothed. When it's winter time, she makes sure everyone's warm. The beautiful example of a hard worker. Man, wouldn't it change things if the community knew, if people in Pittsburgh knew that I tell you what, if you want to hire a great worker, hire a believer. Man, they'll get the job done. They'll do it well. You don't even have to hardly supervise because they seem like they're working for somebody else, not just punching the clock. Wouldn't that be a game changer? Plan ahead. They plan ahead. Proverbs 20, verse 4, The diligent does, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So he doesn't plow when he needs to. He doesn't plan ahead. But then when the food's not there, he says, well, what happened? Because he didn't plan ahead. Proverbs 24, 27, prepare your work. Prepare your work. Get everything ready. Then build your house. 
Prepare ahead. Plan ahead. Make the preparation. Know where you're heading. Know what training you're going to need. Know what education you're going to need. Know what experience you're going to need. And then, and then, and then prayerfully get yourself in those positions. You may not be crazy about your first job. You probably won't be. You're probably not going to get your dream job right out of vocational school or college. But that, that's where God has you. And you're working for Him. And He's using He doesn't waste our time. And He's using it. He's using it. To, to give you the experiences he has for you in the next stage. C.H. Spurgeon, the old pastor from London, said this, the sluggard takes great pains to escape from great pains. But the diligent is willing to get the training, get the experience, and put in the time in order to fulfill God's calling. Okay, four application real quick. Number one, patiently pursue God's calling. Patiently pursue what God's called you. If God has put something in your heart, pursue it. There may be some blocks along the way. There may be some seasons that are kind of slower than others, but pursue what God has called you to do. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. Look at uh, Proverbs 28.19. Uh, Whoever works his land will have plenty. He works his land. He patiently pursues it. He, 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 he plows it. He plants the seed. He harvests the crops. He works his land. He's going to have plenty of bread. This past week, we had a memorial service for um, uh, a, a godly woman named Linda Sally. Uh, Linda and Ed have been a part of our church for a long time. And um, uh, Linda went uh, graduated from... Uh, High school, Bentworth, and then went to uh, uh, Asbury and met Ed there and didn't finish college and then came back, started working here. They got married, started having a family. Uh, she chose to, for that season of her life, God had put a calling on her, on her heart. And for that season of life, she chose to stay home. I know not everyone does that. She chose to stay home. And I tell you what, meeting the kids, she made the right choice. Um, after her uh, youngest son... Uh, was in uh, uh, junior in high school, she went back to college to get her degree for education because God had given her this uh, uh, desire to, to teach. And she went back, and, uh, and she got her degree. And, and at one time, uh, she, uh, Linda, and the three kids were in college at the same time. And her youngest son said, yeah, that time our family was suffering from maltuition. I like that. That's, that's pretty clever. She went back, and she got her master's degree, and she won this award, this high honors award as a reading specialist. She was going to get this award when she graduated from her master's degree, but that ceremony and the, and the graduation ceremony of her oldest daughter was on the same day, so no, no question where she went, right? She never got that degree, never got that award, but she went and and uh, was with her daughter at her graduation. And then Linda taught for 20 years, second grade, 20 years here in our area, making tremendous impact on the lives of so many people. She patiently pursued God's calling. If God has put something on your life, there may be a stretch of time, there may be a season when he kind of calls time out or slow down, but he's preparing you, he's getting you ready. Patiently pursue God's calling. Number two, young adults, don't date or marry 
a lazy person. Okay? That goes without saying. Number three, don't make people dependent. Don't make people dependent. Proverbs 16, 26 says, A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Think about that. A worker's appetite. When you're hungry, it works for you. That was a problem in the early church in Thessalonica. Some people weren't working and expecting others to provide for them. So Paul addressed the subject head on, practical stuff. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, what? Don't let him eat. Remember the proverb? A worker's appetite works for him. For we hear, Paul says in verse 11, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do all their work quietly and to earn their own living. Don't make other people dependent on you. Parents, teach your kids how to work. Because if you don't teach them, where in the world are they going to learn? Number four, keep work in a godly perspective. Keep work in a godly perspective. When you go in to work, wherever it is, from your home or in an office or if you're training, when you go, when you go do what God's calling you to do during this stretch, are you doing it unto man or unto God? If you're retired, what are you doing with these, with these beautiful days God has given you? Are you investing them in eternal things? If you're working, are you putting in an honest day's work? Can you lay your head down on your pillow at night and say, you know what? I'm not saying I did everything perfect today, but I know this. I worked hard. I worked honest. Are you a godly employer? Are you fair with those who work for you? Honestly, the, the worst person, when I was in, uh, years ago, before we moved to Pittsburgh, the worst person I ever worked for in my life was a believer, a seminary student training for ministry. There wasn't some honesty there. He was stingy. And my checks usually bounced when he wrote them. I would just get them and say, hey, seriously, is this one going to bounce too? And the word around the seminary was, sometimes it's better not even to work for a believer. Isn't that a shame? If you're a believing employee, you should be generous. You should be demonstrating God's work in your life. Well, here's another obvious question about work. This is far from the sluggard side, right? Has work become your idol? Has work become your idol? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and work can become a god. That's where we can get our significance and our identity. And we can neglect our family, and we can neglect our spiritual life. I can't tell you how many people I talk to. I'm too, I'm too busy to serve. 
I'm not saying you should serve here at the church, but if you're too busy to obey what this says, then guess what? You're too busy. It's not, it's not us wanting you to serve at the church. You just need to serve God giving you a gift, and you should serve Him in that. Now, certainly you should serve in your work, but how are you going to demonstrate, how are you going to be part of the community in serving others? So don't let work become an idol. Next time we're going to talk about, as we wrap up Proverbs, we're going to talk about uh, um, integrity. And it's a beautiful word. Integrity means wholeness. Can't, we can't just pull these things out, right, and say, oh, yeah, we're really, really doing well there while something else in our life is going to pot. Wholeness. That's for next week. Proverbs 21, 25, 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long, he craves and craves. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Isn't that a beautiful passage? The righteous person, because of what God has done for us, gives and doesn't hold back. And Jesus is our example, isn't he? Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And that's what we celebrate in communion. Two things we do during communion. Three things about communion. First of all, it's for believers only. If you're here today and, you, and you're not certain, you've trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God, let the bread and the cup pass. No one will know. No one will care. We'll be doing our own business. This is for believers only. Secondly, in communion, we always thank God for what He did. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. When we hold the, the bread and the cup, we're reminded of that emblems that remind us of the work of Jesus just for us, to make us righteous. And the third thing, 1 Corinthians 11 says, examine yourself. As you hold the bread and the cup, it's kind of hard to play games with God, isn't it? Examine yourself and just ask God, am I a good worker? Am I a good employee? Am I a good employer? Am I, am I fulfilling the calling you've put on my life? Am I using this, this gracious gift of time in a way that would honor you? 